So we're gonna go fast and furious this morning. I got a lot of content, a lot of exciting stuff on my heart I want to share. You know, we've been continuing this series on shame. We're gonna wrap it up next week with Good Friday and, and Easter. And I really asked the Lord, like, what, what is in your heart about this series that you want me to communicate this morning? Um, and what the Lord's really on my heart is this message on shame is really, it's not just a self-help message you can feel better about yourself. Now, hopefully it is helping you and you do feel better about yourself learning about shame, but it really is a, a battle of two kingdoms. And I want to really use this. The, today is Palm Sunday. For those who don't know what Palm Sunday is, it's the Sunday before Easter. It's the Sunday before when Christ was crucified. When Jesus, the Bible talks about the triumphant entry when Jesus was going into Jerusalem. And people welcomed him. People screamed, Hosanna and save and glory, uh, glory uh, blesses the one who came in the name of the Lord and celebrated him. Um, let's bring the passage up in Matthew chapter 21. Um, I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, they brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw the garments over the colt. And he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread the garments on the road ahead of him. Other cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of procession and the people all around were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowd replied, Is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee? So here's the deal. Jesus was coming in to the city of Jerusalem. They welcomed him. They loved him. Uh, they celebrated him. But a few days later, the same people were yelling, Hosanna, with the same people yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Yeah. What happened? It's because there's a war between the two kingdoms. Let me explain. The reason the Jews went from celebration to crucify him in just a few days is because they were deeply disappointed. Nobody likes to be disappointed. See, they were screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us now. Save us. Who do they want to get saved from? They want to get saved from the evil Roman Empire. They want Jesus to become the military king that was going to help them destroy, defeat the Roman Empire, and usher in the glory days of Israel. Back to the days of David and Solomon, when once again Israel's envy of all nations. But that's not the kind of king Jesus was. He was a king, but he was not the military king they want. He was coming to save us, but not from the evil Roman empires, coming to save us from something much worse, from our sins. And he was supposed to usher in something new, but not the glory days of Israel, but he's coming in to usher in a new spiritual, emotional, political, social system that the world has never seen before. The Bible calls it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leader. But my kingdom is not of this world. And this was his mission to save us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and trans transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sin." So really, Jesus came to delineate between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. So what does this have to do with our series on shame? Like I said, our series on shame is not just a self-help message. It really is about so much more. It's about how you can walk in the kingdom of God. Now, the word kingdom of God gets confused, but here's a very simple definition of kingdom of God. 
You are in the kingdom of God if you're walking under the rules, the, the governance, dominion, the reign of God. You're walking under obedience of God, then you are in, in, in the kingdom of God. See, we've been talking about shame. We've been contrasting shame with vulnerability, right? The culture of shame is isolation, is rejection, is hiding yourself, is, is protecting yourself. Whereas on the other side, you have vulnerability. Vulnerability, remember, the definition is that you put yourself in the place you could be hurt, but you also can be known. Vulnerability leads to transparency, transparency authenticity, when you can be known by God and by other people. Uh, vulnerability leads to deep level of relationship. So shame on one side and vulnerability and relationship on the other side. Now, we've been talking about how we were urging you, encouraging you to pursue vulnerability and not shame. But really, it's a story of two kingdoms. I'm going to show you how this works. Shame is the emotional fuel for the kingdom of darkness. Think about that for a second. It's the power source for how the worldly system works. Okay? It's the emotional drive to get things done in this world. I'm going to remind you what shame is. Shame is the feeling that you are not enough and that you are not important. Okay, and shame is deeply powerful. People have used shame to accomplish great things, conquer nations, build empires, build amazing business and technologies. Okay, but the undercurrent message to shame is this. If you don't perform, if you don't do this well, if you don't get this job done, you are a loser and you are not important. Does that make sense? That's the power source for the kingdom of the world. I'll give you a very personal example. Now, my wife and I grew up in the Asian American community. And it's not just Asian American community, but many other communities, I'm sure. We have a perfectionistic style towards academics, okay? So even though my parents had never once put pressure on me to get good grades, nor her parents, they didn't need to because the culture we grew up in, the church, the teachers, the, the friends, the peers, the undertone is if you don't get a perfect score on your SATs, you're not the valedictorian of your class, you don't go to Harvard or Yale or at least MIT, you don't go to graduate school and get a PhD, and you don't get a high-paying job, then there's something wrong with you. That's the undercurrent that I grew up in, okay? So it doesn't matter how kind of, what kind of grades I get, what good college I went to, I always felt like I was not enough because compared to my cousins, I didn't get those grades. And what happens, even if you accomplish those things, even if you achieve all of those things, what's your reward? You get to have kids and you get to do it all over again, and they get to go through the same shame and pressure and cycles. I'm not joking, generationally. Now, it's powerful because it gets the job done. It gets people studying for their SATs when they're in middle school. Okay, no joke. You want to get a perfect score? Start studying when you're in middle school. I'm just telling you that's how it works. Okay, I got the inside scoop. But that's just the basic example of how it works. Shame gets results. But what do you lose in the process? You lose relationship. You lose intimacy. You lose vulnerability. And what you truly lose, you lose the reflection of God's character in his heart. I want to be very clear. You can be a Christian organization, Christian school, Christian church, and be running on the power of shame. Does that make sense? So many people, all they knew is grew up in shame, so they don't even know any different. Until you actually introduce them to the kingdom of God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So the culture of shame, the culture of the dark, kingdom of darkness, because shame is the power source, the values in the culture of shame is isolation. It's, it's shutting people out. It's saving face. How about that one? It's stabbing people in the back. How about our corporate culture today? The CYA, cover your 
behind. Why do we have that culture? It's because your energy, your power source is powered by shame. Shame is powerful, it's ubiquitous, it's almost everywhere except one place. Shame is not present in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God doesn't need shame to power it. The kingdom of God instead is powered by the opposite of shame. What is the opposite of shame, you say? The kingdom of God is powered by relationships. It's powered by intimacy. It's powered by our desire to be known and to know other people. See, God existed in, in the Trinity since the beginning. God exists in perfect unity and communion and vulnerability and intimacy with each other. And when he made us in his image and likeness, he put that same desire to be known for, for deep understanding, deep intimacy into every single one of our hearts. And Jesus came to restore this intimacy. John chapter 10, verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Because knowing and being known is the culture, is the, is the power source for the kingdom of God. Therefore, in the kingdom, there is a culture, there are core values of trust, transparency, and vulnerability. You know, sometimes after I preach and people come up to me and they'll be like, you know what? I really appreciate how authentic and how real you are when you preach. It's so funny when people say it because I'm just like, I want to normalize vulnerability. I want to normalize authenticity. Do you know why people are so drawn? It's not just me. It's our church. It's our encounters. It's, our, it's just everything about Living Stones. Do you know why authenticity and vulnerability is so attractive to people? Not just like Christian people, any people. It's because it reflects the kingdom of God. I look at some of the most popular secular podcasts or, or YouTubers, people like Joe Rogan and some of these other people. Do I agree with all their values? No, I don't. But do you know one of the reasons why they're so attractive to just the general population? It's because they're real. They are real. Why is that? It's because authenticity reflects God's kingdom. Vulnerability reflects God's kingdom. So I'm coming down to my point. The point is that in this series about shame is not just about a, 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 a self-help, more freedom for your life. Hopefully, it will bring more freedom. But ultimately, a series on shame and vulnerability is about walking in the kingdom of God. It's following the commandment when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. In Matthew chapter 6. I hope I've shown you how high the stakes are for us to continue to walk a life free from shame. But here's a problem. Shame, because it's part of the systems of this world, is always lurking. It's like a bad addiction. You could be free for decades, but one bad day, all of a sudden, it just, it just leaps on you and comebacks roaring to your life. You know, I'll have days in which I'm at church, I'm, 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 I'm feeling the glory of God, I'm walking the freedom, authenticity, and vulnerability. I feel great. Great day, aligning myself, walking in the kingdom of God. And I walk home, I go to the mailbox, I get my mail, and I open up a mail, and there's an unexpected bill. Where's this bill come from? What? All of a sudden, shame leaps all on me, and all of a sudden, I'm in shame again because I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not enough. I don't make enough money, blah, 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 blah. Shame comes all upon me again. I don't know if that's just me or you. Like, things are going well, and all of a sudden, something triggers me, and shame is roaring to come right back in. This is why 
We need to make sure this message of shame is not just a knowledge-based, yeah, I, I learned that message, I heard that message. It becomes a lifestyle. Now, real quickly, what is a lifestyle change? Now, I used to teach for Indian Western University years ago, and I taught a nutrition class. We talked about weight loss. And most people, you know, when do they focus on weight loss? They focus on weight loss when they have a health problem. Or summer's coming and they need to go to the beach, right? This is like, oh, wait, the sun's coming. Uh, how do I lose 30 pounds in 40, 48 hours? You know, like, you know, you want to take a pill, you do a weekend cleanse, or you go on some kind of binge diet. That's the quickest way to, you know, lose some water away, okay? But it might have short-term results. It's not a long-term solution, right? Because it took a lifestyle, decades of lifestyle to get to where you are today. It's going to take a lifestyle change to help you get out of it, right? It needs to be a lifestyle change. And what that means is you need to develop certain habits and behaviors that you do consistently. Like instead of drinking pop, you drink water. Stuff like that. Like, you know, take some extra steps. Instead of taking the elevator, take the steps. Just basic lifestyle changes. We talked about stuff like this before. The point is, if you ever want to have any type of long-lasting change, you need to develop habits, certain habits to help you walk it out. And you got to practice these habits consistently. And today, for the remainder of time, which is 20 minutes, wow, I'm going to establish and talk about three habits that we can learn from Jesus himself to help us establish a lifestyle free from shame. Now, these habits, three habits, are I am not going to talk about Basic things like fellowship and worship on Sunday and life group and studying your Bible and spending time in prayer. All those things, yes, yes, yes. If you aren't doing those things, good luck living a life free from shame. I'm just not specifically talking about that. I'm talking about your habits in terms of your interaction with other people. Does that make sense? The foundational piece is like if you're not spending time with the Lord, I don't know what else to tell you. You know, That's the foundational piece. But I'm talking particularly your habits in terms of interaction for people from your wife to the random guy you meet at McDonald's, okay? Your interaction with other people. So I'm going to go there real quick. This is a very familiar story. John chapter 4, I'm going to start from verse 4. Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay, so let's go to verse 4 there. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He's going to Galilee. He came to a Samaritan, Samaritan town called Sinkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noontime. Okay, so quick context. Jews and Samaritans for hundreds of years don't like each other. That's all I got to say, okay? They disdain each other. They look down on each other. Even though ethnically they're very similar, they cannot stand each other, okay? Continue verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to her, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So Jesus was about to step step into a bunch of shame landmines, okay? So if you think of interaction between Samaritans and Jews, there's so much shame there. They're trying to make each other feel like they're not enough and not important, okay? But it's not just the Samaritan versus Jew. There's the man versus woman. And there's some commentary that says this woman, Samaritan woman, came to draw water from the well at noon instead of with others earlier in the day when it's cooler. It's probably because she's kind of an outcast, which is confirmed later by Jesus' questioning, okay? So there's all kind of landmines of shame, man versus woman, Samaritan versus Jew, a rabbi versus a woman with a complicated past going on. There's a bunch of, bunch of junk going on. 
in the middle of all this mess. Let's look at how Jesus approached her. He asked her for a favor. He asked her for a favor. Now, I don't know about you, but by default, I reject favors. Okay? Just a few days ago, I was talking to my wife. She was going to one of her friend's house. She's going to Chelsea Torres' house. And Chelsea was making some grilled cheese sandwich. And he, she said to her, would you like a sandwich? And my wife said, no, without even thinking about it. Then she's like, wait a second. Why is it my default to say no? And then she stopped and she thought, am I hungry? Hmm, I am not hungry. Okay, no, Chelsea, I don't need a sandwich. But her, the reason she told me the story was, why is it by default I just jumped to no? It's so funny she told me that story because that same exact day, the same thing happened to me. I was having a meeting with Pastor and some other people. And Pastor Mayer came in and she was going to get some lunch for Pastor. And she said, anybody else wants anything? Default answer, I said no. I didn't even think about it. I just said no. Later, when Pastor Ron was chowing down on some pad thai, I'm looking at him. I'm like, man, do I want some pad thai right now. My stomach was gurgling. I'm like, why did I say no without even thinking about it? There's no one to blame but myself. I was thinking about that. I'm like, why is it that by default, I say no to favors? Why is that? Well, it's because I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want to owe people something. I don't want to be seen as needy. Why? Because I don't want to be vulnerable. Does that make sense? I don't want to be vulnerable, so I missed out some pad thai. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus unashamedly asked for a favor. He didn't mind to be seen as high maintenance. It was very interesting to me. So this, to me, is the first habit that we must practice in our interaction with other people, is to lead with vulnerability. Remember, vulnerability is putting yourself in a place where you can get hurt. Jesus is admitting he's needy, he's thirsty, he's hungry, he's tired, and he can't get some water, so he needs some water. And she could simply reject him. She could ignore him. But the Holy Spirit led him to begin this potentially explosive interaction by asking for a favor. When you lead with vulnerability, what happens is you come into a powder keg situation, not with your guns drawn, but with your hands open. And say, here, I'm here to talk. I'm here to get to know you. Here's why. It's because you can't force or shame people into being vulnerable. You have to invite them. You have to invite them to vulnerability. This is the reason why in our encounter retreats. Who's been to one of our encounter weekends, encounter retreats? Okay. We as leaders recognize that you won't be healed in the encounter unless you yourself become vulnerable. And the best way for you to become vulnerable is our leaders first model it. That's why you hear some of these craziest testimonies about our leaders at our retreats. Because they lead you into vulnerability by themselves. First share the junk that they have dealt with in their lives. People come back from the retreat like, wow, you leaders are, were, were a mess. Yes, we were. But we want to tell you, because we were a mess and God can heal us, therefore you can be healed too. This is the same reason why I believe the one of the best ways to help our kids grow, you know, when my son's dealing with unforgiveness or he has a hard time getting over failures or he has anger problems. Sometimes I just want the behavioral manage. Stop doing it. Knock it off. Suck it up. But you know what the best way is to be vulnerable and tell me your stories. Are there times when I struggle with anger? Yeah. Are there times I struggle with failures? Yeah. Are there times I struggle with unforgiveness? I take my son, I say, hey, let me tell you a story. 
I share with him my own struggles. Those are the best developmental times for my kids. Does it take more energy and time? Yes, it does. But it produced the best fruit. So what does that mean for you? That means that you lead interaction with other people with sharing your own struggles. Now, mind you, you don't share the same level of vulnerability with your wife than the guy at McDonald's, okay? It's not the same level, okay? I'm not saying share the same level of vulnerability with everybody. But I think the principle is the same. Be authentic with your struggles. Don't say stuff you don't mean. And don't pretend to be somebody you are not. How about this one? Genuinely compliment other people. I feel like people don't compliment and they don't say, you know, I really appreciate you because people don't want to be vulnerable. That's the reason why. They don't want it to be awkward. You know, I found a mechanic, Pastor Ron introduced me to a mechanic last year, a car mechanic. He just did a great job and charged me a really great price. Afterwards, I just say, hey, I'm so thankful for you because you really, there's someone I can really trust and I've been looking for someone like this for a long time. I'm just so thankful for you. And he felt stunned and it was awkward because he's, just no one interacted with him like this before. But guess what? I want to lead with vulnerability. I don't care if it's awkward. Lead with realness and honesty, even if it makes you look weak. That should be a habit that we practice all the time. And Jesus did that, and he asked for a drink of water. So the first step is to lead with vulnerability. Let that be part of your life. Well, look at her response to Jesus. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? Okay, so her response to Jesus' vulnerability, again, is awkwardness, walls. Why are you even talking to me? But I thought it was funny because even as she said we shouldn't be talking, she didn't really believe it. Because if she truly believed they shouldn't be talking, then the Samaritan woman would ignore Jesus, right? She would just go on her way, get her water, and just walk along her way. But she ended up interacting, mindful, a meaningful interaction with Jesus. And I believe the Holy Spirit was strategic when, she, when the Holy Spirit led Jesus to her because there's something deeper in her heart that longed for meaning, for purpose, and something more. And Jesus continued. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who is it that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, what Jesus is doing at this moment is he's practicing legitimately speaking interest and passion and knowing to her heart. He's legitimately interested in who she is and what she longs for. What Jesus is demonstrating is the second principle, the second habit or behavior that we must adapt, we must learn to practice, is that we are always looking to know people, to truly genuinely know people. We need to recognize that regardless of what people say, what people think they need, what they truly need is to be known by others and really, truly be ultimately known by God. See, often people come with me with all kinds of problems, addictions, hurts, family issues, business issues, and now we want to address those issues and we want to give people solutions and we want to help people. Don't get me wrong, okay? We, we need to address the practical issues. But while you're addressing the practical issues, in your heart, you got to know there's a deeper level that they don't even know about. Is they long to be known by others and to be known by God. This woman thinks that she just needs water. That's a legitimate need, right? If you're thirsty, you want water. That's a legitimate need. But Jesus recognized what she truly needs is the living water. And what is living water but eternal life? And not just living forever, but eternal life live in intimacy with God and with other people. I'm going to give you some practical example of what this looks like. When your child throws a tantrum, 
They start to act up. What do you do? Do you simply correct the behavior? Or you recognize that you've been working for a long time and you haven't been home, and you haven't spent time with your son, and what you really need to do is pursue his heart and spend some one-on-one time with him. How about this one? This one hits familiar to my, to my family. What happened your wife is starting to watch a lot of Korean soap opera instead of spending time with you? <laughs> what do you do? Personally, I understand this very well. Do you give her a lecture and say, hey, stop binge watching TV and come give me a back rub? Or do you say, or do you recognize that the intimacy that she's been longing for, she hasn't been getting from you, the emotional connection, because you've been so busy with everything else. So she takes it out on Korean soap opera instead. So instead of lecturing her, maybe what you should do is you should date her again. I'm just very familiar with that storyline. I don't know why. Korean soap opera is addictive. It's like an Asian thing. Don't worry about it. What about this one? Your employee at work is starting to not work as hard. They start to come to work late. I mean, yeah, you could just fire them or give them a correction or whatever, or you could ask them some questions. Do you know the primary motivator for people is never money or benefits? It's being heard. It's being known. It's being cared for. It's to realize that they have a place. It's being known. I'll give you one more example, and this one probably hurts. Do you recognize the root of addiction? What the true root of addiction is? Whether it's drugs, alcohol, gambling, food, shopping. There's addiction to food, addiction to shopping. Obviously, pornography, the big one. It's because there's something deep in our hearts that longs to be fulfilled. And when that thing is not healthily fulfilled, we take it out on other easily distractions that can distract us from the real need. When I talk to men about their pornography problems, I ask them three simple questions. I say, hey, who are your friends? Who are your friends that truly know you well? And I don't really have any. If they're married, I ask, how is the emotional connection between you and your wife? Well, it doesn't really exist. If they're Christians, I say, when's the last time you had an intimate moment with God? It's been a long time. You are really been isolated. You feel alone. You feel not known. So you take it out on pornography or drugs or whatever it is, which cause more shame and cause more isolation. Address the behavioral issues. I'm all, all about good habits, okay? But we cannot lose sight of the deepest issue, which is our longing to be known. Jesus recognized this. He sees our surface problem simply as a reflection of our deepest need. And that's why he brought up living water. And I'm going to quickly go, get going because lack of time. And the woman says, hey, how can you give me living water? Are you greater than Jacob? I'm paraphrasing. But Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is inviting her. He's saying, if you go after the things of this world, water, money, food, possessions, power, acceptance, you will be thirsty again. But the invitation stands for every single one of you together, every single one of us. If you are sick and tired of the rat race and you're looking for a desire, a longing, a fulfillment that will never end, it will always satisfy, being known and known by God, then he says, I am here. And this leads us to the last point. So the second habit is we need to cultivate a lifestyle of truly knowing other people, 
Start with your family. Do you really know your kids? Do you really know your wife, your husband? Do you really know your parents? Do you really know your brothers and sisters? Sometimes your families are the hardest people to know because they're the greatest hurts. Which leads to the third point, and I gotta go quickly, is we ourselves need to gently invite others into vulnerability as we ourselves step into vulnerability. You see, Jesus was doing so well with her. She's hooked. She's ready to go to his church. She's ready to go and sign up for membership. She's ready to join um, the church of Jesus Christ, the true church of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, Jesus said this, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. All you have said is just true. Jesus, you're doing so well. Why do you have to make it so awkward? Because Jesus recognized that this precious woman, this precious daughter, for her to be healed, she has to gently walk into vulnerability herself. If you look at the life of Jesus, he is always inviting people into vulnerability. He's inviting the rich young ruler into vulnerability by saying, sell everything you have. He's inviting the Pharisees into vulnerability by saying, you guys need to repent. He invites Peter into vulnerability when he reinstated him later and said, do you love me? He himself goes into his greatest place of vulnerability on the cross. And even today, Jesus is inviting you into your greatest place of vulnerability. And we need to establish a habit, a lifestyle of not fighting Jesus when he invites you to the place of vulnerability. If you've been hurt by friends, God wants you to make some new friends. If you've been hurt by the church, God wants you to get involved in church again. If you've been hurt by your father, God wants you to send some spiritual fathers your way or perhaps you have to go back to your own father. I'm telling you, God is over and over again in my own life inviting me to all the places I don't want to go. As practical as the dentist dealing with my teeth again. I got a whole story on that I can't tell right now because I'm running out of time. You see, I am still kicking and screaming when he invites me because who wants to feel naked? Who wants to feel vulnerable? But as I grow in maturity, the difference is this. I don't fight as hard. I still fight, just not as hard. And I trust a tiny bit more. Why does he want us to go to the place of vulnerability? It's because in the place of vulnerability, in the place of tenderness, when we are naked before him, we are known by him, and he reveals himself to us. And that's where we get our healing. And this is the message I want to share with you. So many of you guys are stuck in life. The Holy Spirit says this is the message you got to share with your people. So many of you are stuck in life right now because you know God's called you to a place of vulnerability, and you are too scared to go. Maybe you made a vow in your past. You said, I will never be hurt again. I will never feel vulnerable again. I've been there. I've been there. But I want to say, I can't tell you when you go back to the place of vulnerability, you won't get hurt again. I can't guarantee you that. But I can guarantee you that if you go where God has invited you to go, the promise is you will never be alone. You will never be alone. You know, I just want to finish with a quick story. You know, some of you guys share, heard me share, uh, I don't know, how many weeks ago. One of my greatest places of vulnerability was in college when uh, we had a servant auction. And I was the first person to auction off. And for over 10 minutes, nobody bid on me. 
And I was just sitting there in front of hundreds of college kids, like the biggest fool in the world. And everyone just looked at me awkwardly. And I legitimately, practically felt like I was worthless because no one wanted to bid on me. And that was a powerful moment of pain and suffering and hurt and shame throughout my life. And even years later, the devil will always bring that memory back to me and say, you are worthless, you are worthless. I'll be driving on the street and I will feel that sense of shame. But the Lord kept beckoning me, inviting me back to that place. I'm like, Lord, why would you want me to go back to the place of pain? And I, I was in Pastor Ron's basement one year, and I was just struggling. The Lord says, you have to go back there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back there. So I went back there in my memory. I saw all the faces. I felt the agony of shame. I was in pain. I was like, Lord, this is what you want, me just feeling the pain, the shame? I tried to bury it. But the Lord says, turn to your left. I turned to my left. In my memory, I saw that my Lord was standing right next to me. I felt the pain, but the pain was different because my Lord was standing right next to me because he invited me back to that moment. And God's saying, you know what? The whole time when the world rejected you, I was there right next to you. And that's the secret here. Our life is not supposed to live a life without pain. Our life is not supposed to be living a life with comfort. Those are not the top priorities. Our life is supposed to be lived a life of intimacy with him. And that's the secret we got to understand. So guess what? Every time I look back on that memory now, I don't see shame. I see God's acceptance of who I am. I don't care the world rejects me. I don't care the world doesn't care about me. I don't care the world finds me worthless. Because my Lord says I was with him the whole time. So this story of depression and shame has turned to my greatest story of affirmation in my life. Does that make sense? Was it painful? Was it hurtful? Was it vulnerable? Yes. But it's not about that. It's about intimacy and being known by God. I'm running out of time. Aaron's going to kill me. I know it. But here's the deal. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to vulnerability right now. If there's a place that God's called you to go and you struggle to go in vulnerability, I want to invite you to come and pray with us. We, I want to invite you right now to exercise this so we can walk a life free from shame. Amen? Amen. Hey, have a great Sunday. Again, we would love to pray with you. We would love to encourage you to walk a life in vulnerability. Have a great Sunday.